Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, grab them and go with me to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter number two, the book of Haggai in chapter number two this morning. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. If you do not, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat uh, in front of you, the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. Haggai chapter number two this morning as we continue our study walking right through the book of Haggai, which is uh, one of the minor prophets, one of the smaller Old Testament prophets. And one of his letters here we find ourselves this morning in Haggai chapter number two. Haggai chapter two. Verse number one, and we're going to read down to verse number five. If you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word? Haggai chapter two, we're going to go verse one to verse five. The Christian life is what the apostle Paul called a race set before us. And in this race, there are many obstacles, many circumstances that we face. There are many heartbreak hills along our run. This last year, I completed a marathon. It was one of my 2022 resolutions. And not as many as some of you have completed, but I'm catching you slowly but surely When you're running a marathon, you're going up and down all kinds of different terrain. Often in a marathon, they they have a a steep hill, a a climb that you have to make. Runners call it heartbreak hill. Because normally, when you get to the top, you still have much more to go. One of the things when you're running a hill like that, It's testing you to see what it will take to get you to to call it quits. There are heartbreak hills in the Christian life. Difficulties. Things that none of us want to experience. And yet, as Christians, it's a part of the race that we run. So... The question we have to ask ourselves is how do we get up and over Heartbreak Hill? It's a question that the people in the story of Haggai are are finding themselves with. They were discouraged. It's a difficult situation. And yet Haggai issues them a challenge. And the challenge is, do not allow discouragement to deter you from doing what God has called you to do. You remember in Haggai chapter 1, we talked about this last week, that the children of Israel have been in the land for almost 20 years. And when they went back into the land, God had told them, I want you to rebuild the temple. I want you to remake the city of Jerusalem. And I want you to begin to obey me. Well, they rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt their homes, they got on with their life, but they failed to rebuild the temple. 
So God had called to them and said, now is time for you to prioritize what I have given you to do. We talked about that last week, seeking first the kingdom of God. Our priorities for 2023 need to be God-centered priorities. But what you're going to see today is that the children of Israel get to work. And they find themselves discouraged at the uphill climb that is in front of them. So Haggai is going to remind them this. And you and I need to be reminded of it the same. That you do not have to make up 20 years in one day. You don't have to have 20 years figured out. You don't even have to have 20 days figured out. What you have to do is not give up. Do not give up. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And in the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, the, the remaining people in Jerusalem, and say to them this, verse 3, Who is left among you that saw this house? So he's talking about the temple. Who is left among you that saw the temple in her first glory? So look here. So the way in which it was first built, that's what he's asking them. He says, who among you saw the first temple, the one that Solomon built, with all of its ornate beauty, with all of its intricate detail, with all the gold and the lumber and the wood? Who saw that temple? And how do you see it now? So he says, who here saw the first one? And now if you look at this one, how do you see this one? And then he asks, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So here's what's happened. They got to building the temple. Everybody started looking around and they went, well, we've been working on this thing for a month and it doesn't look nearly as good as Solomon's. So we might as well just quit. We might as well give up. Verse four. And yet... Now be strong, O Zerubbabel, and be strong, O Joshua, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, and according to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not." Do not allow discouragement to deter you from doing what God has called you to do. Our Heavenly Father, we pray you would use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The children of Israel are staring up Heartbreak Hill. They have a, a lump in their throat. They have discouragement in their hearts. And God sends a word to them 
that encourages them to endure, to be faithful in doing what he has called them to do. I want you to notice three things about Heartbreak Hill that you need to be reminded of. Three things about Heartbreak Hill. Number one, notice the reality of discouragement. The reality of discouragement. The the story goes like this. They came, they began working on the house of the Lord. They began obeying God. They started building his temple. And they had this very, uh, they had their spirit stirred by the Lord. They were very enthusiastic in their spirit. That's where they were left in chapter 1. The the Spirit of God had stirred the spirit of Zerubbabel. He's the governor. The Spirit of God had stirred the, the spirit of Joshua. He's the high priest. The Spirit of God had stirred the spirit of the people. So they were all encouraged. They're ready to get to work and they start getting to work. They start at it. They begin doing what God has given them to do. They're so excited And then somewhere along the way, it does not go the way they thought it would go. Have you you ever had something not go the way you thought it would go? How many of you would say, yeah, I've had that. Maybe even this morning, it didn't go the way you thought it would go, right? We've all had that. And oftentimes, that's when discouragement sets in. Discouragement sets in when reality does not meet our expectation. So we thought it was going to be like this, and yet it's only like this. I thought I would be here with my career, and yet I'm only here. I thought our family would be looking like this, and yet our family only looks like that. I thought by now we'd have a house. I thought by now we'd be done with school. I thought by now we'd have kids. I thought by now I'd be married. I thought by now I would have, fill in the blank. So our expectation is this, and yet reality is this, that, that when reality and expectation do not match, discouragement sets in. I thought it was going to be, and then it really turns out to be like this. And by the way, I just want to tell you, this happens in a variety of ways in our lives. So it's not just the big things. It's not just the high moments. It's not just the major expectations that we have, but even the the small expectations. I thought my day was going to go like this. My day went like that. And so I find myself at the end of the day under a spirit of discouragement because it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. So a month into the work, the temple is starting to take shape. But it looks nothing like, this is what we're being told, it looks nothing like it did the first time. So the people gather around the temple at one of their uh, feasts, one of their festivals. And as they gather around the temple, people who are traveling from afar, coming into Jerusalem, hearing about the work of the temple, they get there, they fold their arms and they go, that doesn't look anything like it used to look. And as the workers are working... They start to go, you know what, you're kind of right. It doesn't look anything like we thought it would look by now. And discouragement, discouragement sets in. 
Listen to how Solomon, the, the wisest man the Bible says to have ever lived, Listen to how he describes discouragement in Proverbs chapter 17, verse number 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A discouraged spirit dries out the bones, literally drieth. It literally means drains. That discouragement is draining to us. That when we find ourselves discouraged, when we find ourselves in that place between expectation and reality, it's draining. It zaps our strength. It makes us want to give up. It forces us to ask questions like, why are we even trying to do these things? And without any strength, the work doesn't get done. I don't know about you, but there's lots of things that drain the spirit for me. Could be something in my relationship with Amanda or my kids. It could be things with finances, the economy, gas prices. It could be more, more personal things like anxiety or stress or loneliness or exhaustion. But all of us face these things. They're draining to us. They dry out the bone. They zap our strength and they leave us with no discouragement. They leave us in a spirit of discouragement and with no strength. Well, notice for them, the discouragement happens in a couple ways. N notice you got a few thoughts here. Discouragement happens because they begin to minimize the present and they glorify the past. They minimize the present by glorifying or exaggerating the past. So these folks see the work that's being done on the temple and they begin to minimize the work that is being done. And the reason they do this is because they needlessly glorified the past. And this is, this is Satan's subtle plan, just so you know. He causes us to exaggerate the past in order to frustrate the present. He causes us to exaggerate the past in order to frustrate the present. Back then, things were so much better. Were things so much better? Probably not. They were probably very similar to how they are right now. Back then, I was happy. And now, I'm not. Back then, things were good, and now things are bad. We tend to exaggerate the past, and when we do, it frustrates the present. Listen very closely. There is a way, about th there's a way of thinking about the past that poisons the present. Now, now, of course, God reminds us about the past. He's going to do that in just a moment. There are, there are good ways to think about the past. But there are, there are also ways that we think about the past in which cause us to minimize the work that's being done in the present. It keeps us from having the strength or the zeal or the encouragement we need in order to do what God has called us to do here. Now listen very closely. If God is working, if we are obeying the Lord's, if God is calling you to rebuild some area of your life, then no matter how small or no matter how slow, 
or no, no matter how insignificant it may appear, it is not inferior. Why? Because it's God who's doing the work. If God is working, then it is good. However slow or small or insignificant it may seem. But this is what the devil does in our lives. He causes us, this is his plan of attack. He causes us to look at the things we're doing and say, well, it'll never measure up to that. Or it was so much better then. Or it was always really good back there. And we exaggerate the past and it frustrates the present. And it causes us to have a spirit of discouragement. And notice it's not just that they were minimizing the present. It's also that they were facing delays. And so they're, they're a month into it. That's what you're told in verse number one. That's why the dates are so important. You and I read over the dates like they're nothing because they don't really impact us in significant ways. But this is saying the work was going on for 30 days. So 30 days of working and yet this is the... This is, only as far as they had gotten. Now, oftentimes this happens to us. We're trying hard, we're working, we're putting the effort in, and we feel like we're not getting anywhere. This happens in several ways, different areas, our career, our marriages, a ministry perhaps, some spiritual struggle. We're putting the work in, we're putting the work in, we're putting the work in. It's taking all this energy, it's taking all this effort, we're very focused, And then we look around and we feel as if we have not gotten anywhere at all. Make a note of this. Make a note of this. The Lord's work very seldom moves as quickly as you thought. The Lord's work very seldom moves as quickly as you thought. You first come to the Lord, you think, oh, I'm getting this out and I'm getting this out and I'm getting this right and I'm getting this right and I'm never doing that and I'm never doing this and I'm going to have all these great successes and you look around the room like you see people here you go, I'm going to have a family like that and a marriage like them and I'm going to drive a car like that and I'm going to have a career like this and it's all going to happen right now because I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, very seldom does the Lord's work move as quickly as we think it should move. Now transformation from salvation happens instantaneously. The moment that you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. You were given a brand new life. The Bible says you were born again. And yet what we forget is that in this brand new life that we now have in Christ, it takes time for us to grow. And no baby ever born was born fully developed. No Christian ever born was born again fully developed. It takes time. It takes growth. It takes patience. And yet oftentimes when we face the delays in our life, we think we should be further down the road than we are. We get discouraged. Minimize the present. They glorified the past. Second, they faced delays. Third, they started comparing themselves with other people around them. And so these people do the same things that we often do. They start looking around them and comparing themselves. The Bible says that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, 
that we are not wise, we are very foolish. They're, listen, they're comparing their start with someone else's finished. Listen, they're comparing their start to someone else's finished. So they're looking at where they are and they just began. And then they're looking at where Solomon and the children of Israel from almost a century ago, where they ended. Our temple doesn't look as good as theirs did. Well, you're just getting started. And that was a finished product. Well, Solomon's temple was so much better than ours. But you're just beginning. And Solomon's was the end We do this in our own lives. We start looking around. We think, well, he's got a great job and an amazing car and a fantastic house. I hate my job. My car barely runs. I'm renting in a bad neighborhood. Ah, it's just not even worth trying. You you compare her kids to your kids. Her kids go to school in perfect matching outfits They have baked goodies every single morning. They are taking college credits when they're in fifth grade. My kids leave the house barely dressed. I don't even know if they had pants on or not. And I have no idea what they have in their lunchbox. Comparing ourselves. Or if you really want to be encouraged, you start going on Instagram, Facebook, looking at what somebody else bought, where someone else is traveling again, who everyone is hanging out with, and why you weren't invited. Listen, friend, stop comparing your start to their finish. Stop comparing your start to their finish. This is what they're doing. When we compare our start with their finish, we give ourselves over to discouragement. We open our hearts and our minds up to it. You start asking things like, well, what's wrong with me? And this is the devil's subtle attack. This is his simple plan to win the war in your mind right there. To get you discouraged before you're even 30 days in. To get you discouraged and cause you to quit. It's not just that they minimized the present and glorified the past. It's not just that they faced delayed. It's, it's not just that they were comparing themselves with people around them. Their, their start to other people's finished. But also they had the wrong perspective. You, you, hear, you hear the question he asked him, how do you see it now? Isn't that an interesting question? How do you see it now? Here's what you must remember when we talk about the temple being rebuilt. The temple was not just another building. The temple was where they met God. The temple symbolized the presence of God. It's where worship took place. It's where they made sacrifices. It's where God met with them. The cloud descended on the tabernacle when they moved the ark into the temple once it was finished. The cloud descended on the temple. And sometimes we can get so focused on one element of our life or the other, we forget how it 
all is connected to glorifying God. Listen, friend, God does not view things the way that you and I view things. The the question is not, how do we see it? The question is, how does God see it? So they factored everyone else in except God. And when we fail to include God, then oftentimes we lack the right perspective. We lack the right perspective. And that's what they did. They had the wrong perspective. Here's here's what he asked them. How do you see it now? And their answer should have been, we see it as the completion of the place where we meet with you, where we learn of you, where we worship you, where we sacrifice to you. Because it was not about the beauty of the building. It was about what took place inside of the building, the dwelling place of God. And the wrong perspective keeps us discouraged. The wrong perspective Keeps us discouraged. So, so what do we do? What do you do when you're discouraged? Well, look how the Lord responds to them. So, so notice he says this. Second, this is the second point for your outline. The requirement of perseverance. When you're trying to get up heartbreak hill, what do you need? Well, you need perseverance. Look what he says in verse 4. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all ye people. Be strong, be strong, be strong. So he talks about two things in this text. He talks about first being strong. And he talks about second, doing our work. So be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all ye people. And work. So perseverance A biblical understanding of perseverance is two things. And I want you to write these down. A biblical understanding of perseverance is two things. First, it's the right attitude. Second, it's the right action. So here's the attitude they're supposed to have. It's an attitude of being strong. When the Bible says be strong, it means take courage. This is so... There's a kind of strength that the Bible tells us to have. And there's a kind of strength that the Bible tells us is dangerous. So, so the wrong kind of strength, being, being strong in yourself, thinking you have it all together, this kind of self-arrogance or self-assuredness, this kind of thinking like I don't need anybody because I'm strong enough, is dangerous in the Christian life. We've all met people like that. They're, they're what we would call spiritual know-it-alls. They think they've got it all together. They're strong enough, good enough. And they're like the kings of Judah who were marvelously helped until they became strong. What it's saying is God was willing to help the kings when the kings realized they needed God to help them. But the moment the kings thought, we don't need God, we got this. And God said, okay, try it on your own and see how it goes. The kind of strength the Bible talks about is not self-assuredness. The, the kind of strength that the Bible talks about is about our posture. It's about our attitude. 
It's about having a self-emptying moment. We would say it's about a humble attitude. So to be strong is not talking about self-assuredness. I can do it. To be strong is talking about realize where the strength comes from. It comes from God. And realize who is calling you to do the work that he is giving you to do. It is God. So being strong in the Bible means be confident. Have the right kind of attitude, not in yourself, but in God who has called you to do the work. This is, this is the great news about the call to be strong. His strength is made perfect. Remember what Paul says? In weakness. You remember the, 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 the men and women listed in Hebrews chapter 11? The hall of faith? Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and all the prophets. And they're, and they're being applauded in that text. They stop the mouths of lions. They quench the violence of fire. They escape the edge of the sword. And then he says this in that text. And out of weakness, they were made strong. That's the key. How did David and Samson and Gideon and Jephthah and Samuel and Moses and Abraham, how did they get, how did they accomplish all the things they accomplished? Well, they were strong. How were they strong? They were strong in realizing that God would be strong for them. It was about their attitude. Be strong means persevere in your attitude. Have the right kind of attitude toward God, toward God who made you, and toward the God who has given you this work to do. The children of Israel were looking to themselves. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We're not rich enough. We're not good enough. We can't build the temple. So when Haggai says to them, this is the word of the Lord, be strong. He's not saying, muster up the strength. Come on, don't be a little chicken. You do it. He doesn't say that. He's saying, be strong. Remember who made you. Remember who called you. Remember who has given you this work. Listen very closely. In your marriage, be strong. Single mom, be strong. You're trying to overcome some addiction in your life. Listen, be strong. Trying to reconcile some relationship. Be strong. You say, I don't feel strong. Good. God will be strong for you. When you recognize who he is, how he has made you, and you realize he is the one who has given you the work to do. Be strong. So perseverance biblically is about the right attitude. But perseverance biblically, second, I give it to you quickly, is about the right action. So it sounds really good to go, hey, just stay motivated. It's okay. Have the right kind of attitude. But that's not all he says. Notice what he says. Be strong. Look at this phrase, verse 4. All ye people of the land, saith the word, saith the Lord. Look at these next two words. Say them with me. Ready? And work. 
Okay, same, look at, the, look at the Bible. It's like one person got it right. Everyone else got it wrong, okay? So, be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, say the next two words, and work. And work. So it's not just that the Lord tells them to have the right attitude. He tells them the right action. Attitude gives us the motivation. But motivation by itself is not enough. They could have had the right attitude. Hey, I have a really good attitude about this temple being built. It's going to be really good. I'm really excited about it. Great. Pick up a hammer and get to work. You see? Oh, I don't, I'm not going to swing a hammer. I just want you to know how happy I am that we're doing it. Great. Pick up a block and stack it. I'm not stacking a block. I'm just really glad to be here. Help in the work. That's what he's saying. Perseverance requires not just the right attitude, it requires the right action. Evan announced earlier, we got the bathroom in the gymnasium. We got that remodel project done, and I want you to go see it this afternoon. It's beautiful. Evan has done such a great job. He really did the, the, the lion's share of that, of that work. We're so thankful to have Evan as a part of our team. But others also helped. I'm not going to name them all, but you know who you were. You helped. You, you, were, you contributed with drywall or plumbing or electric work and we thank you for the many nights that you offered in volunteer service in that way. It's, you know, it's easy as a church to get a project like that done and go, shoot, I'm glad we're finished. Now we can take a break. We're not taking a break. Now we, get, we have more projects to do. I want to add a welcome center on the far end of our building. Oftentimes in our visitor cards, we ask visitors to give us comments back about things that maybe we could do to improve, to welcome, and, and uh, make them feel more comfortable when they first come to, to our church. Almost unanimously, we, the visitor cards always says, when I, got to the, when I got to the hallway, I didn't know where I was supposed to go. So if you have somebody to help direct traffic, that would be helpful. So in light of that, we want to we put a welcome center at the far end, the north part of our hallways. It'll cost us about $5,000 to do. I'm glad we got the gym remodel done, but guess what? Moving on to the next project. Moving on to the next project. Why? Because there's work to do. Because there's work to do. Well, I'm just really motivated that the gymnasium got done. Great. Get motivated. We have more to do. We're just getting started. We're just beginning this is the start, and we're not comparing it to anybody else's finish. This is the work God has given us to do. And so we're going to do the work that God has given to us. By the way, if, if that's your phone ringing, you should probably not answer it. Just hang it up, okay? But maybe in a different way, your phone is ringing this morning. You're saying, I want to be a part of that work. Great. You can contribute by way of Greater Things offering. You can volunteer to help. Evan will be in the gymnasium showing people the work that was done. You can stop by, ask him when that work for the new uh, welcome center to the other end of the, of the campus is getting done. You can volunteer to help us get started on that. Maybe you can't help us physically, but you could give an offering. We need about $5,000 in order to do it. You can contribute it through, de through special designated offerings or Greater Things in order to accomplish that for us. There is a work. Here's what we're trying to say. There is a work that we are doing doing and it requires the right kind of attitude but listen friend it also requires the right kind of action the right kind of action so notice the reality of discouragement second the requirement of perseverance it's your attitude and it's your action third and last notice how God responds God responds with encouragement so 
So he, he really begins in verse 4. Here's how he responds. I am with you. I want you to say those words with me. Ready? Let's say them together. I am with you. Say it one more time. I am Okay, I saw some of you. You didn't say it. I can see you. And you're just sitting there. You're like this. You're still processing the $5,000 that we need to put a welcome center. We're past that. We're already doing it. We're past it, okay? So let's say this one together. I am with you. I was a little bit better. It wasn't 100%, but it was better. Notice, God encourages them with his presence. God encourages them with his presence. You see, when you say yes to the Lord, when you trust him, when you by faith step out and obey him, he says, I'm on your team. My kids, they're arguing, they're fighting over something. You know what they always want to know? They want to know whose side am I on? Are you on her side? Are you on his side? Are you on their side? Gabriel and Ethan fighting over something. Whose side are you on? Who's better, Dad? Who do you like more? They always want to know whose side I'm on. Hey, listen, as, as, as a parent, you never want to take sides, right? But the Lord has no problem declaring whose side he's on. He says, I am for you. The Bible word for that is propitiation. That's a really big $5 word. It, it, here's what it just means. It just means God is pro us. He's for us. And you remember what Paul says? Paul says when he came to realize how God wasn't against me, God was for me. Paul says when I realized that, I started, I started going, who can stand against me? I mean, what hill is too hard to get up if God's with me? What challenge is too hard to, make, to, to face if God's with me? Whatever you're going through in your marriage or in your parenting or at the office or in your neighborhood or relationally with someone, whatever it is, it's not too hard if God is with you. God's presence. I am with you. He's literally saying, I'm on your side. I'm helping you in this. I haven't forgotten you. I know where you are. I'm with you. You know, when you're, when you're not feeling well, what do you do? Right? You take some vitamin C. Amanda, a few months ago, everybody was getting sick. She bought this huge bottle of vitamin C. She puts it on the counter. She, she demands all of us, before you leave the house in the morning, you take one of these horse pills, otherwise known as vitamin C. These things are like this. The hardest pill to swallow. We start taking the pills. But you know, you take this vitamin C pill, if you just reach into the bottle and you just grab it and say, okay, Amanda, I got my pill, and you put it in your pocket, you know, it's not going to do you any good. You know why? You didn't apply it. You didn't take it in. You say, well, I got it in my pocket. It's not good enough. If you take that pill and you smash it up, you rub it all over your face, it's no good. You know why? You didn't apply it. You can take it all the way in. This is, that's how it is in our relationship with the Lord. Some people just, oh, I, I came to church. Oh, yeah, yeah, you put the pill in your pocket. Oh, I know some Bible verses. Okay, fine. You broke the pill and you rubbed it on your face. I got around some religious people. This is not, this is not enough. No, taking it all the way in, applying it all the way to ourselves. 
God encourages us with his presence. By the way, let me just remind you of this. Where do we meet the Lord? Where do we find the presence of the Lord? Well, I'll remind you what the New Testament says that the church is the body of Christ. So whenever we get with God's people, whenever we go to church, it's like the Lord's body getting together. How, where do you most tangibly meet the Lord? At church. You're encouraged. You get to encourage. You get to sing together. You get to pray together. You get to cry together. You get to laugh together. You get to study God's word together. This is the way in which the Lord demonstrates his presence in our lives. God encourages us with his presence. But second, God encourages us with his promises. So he says, I'm with you. That's his presence. Look at verse 5. According to the word that I have coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. So now he's talking about his promise. He's talking about his promise. Listen, friend. The Lord offers you and me promises on which we can depend. Thousands of promises make up this book right here. Thousands of promises. Just, just, just practically here. What, what, what you ought to do if you struggle with discouragement, and we all do. But what, but what you ought to do is you ought to take the promises of this book, put them on a three-by-five card, and carry them with you throughout the day. Type them, make them a screensaver on your phone so you see it. Be reminded of the promises of the Lord. Put it in front of your face. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it on your purse, in your pocket. So that way, whenever you face heartbreak hill and you're having a hard time getting up to the top, you can be remembered. God is with me, his presence, but God's promises go before me. Let me give you this last one. God encourages us with his presence. He encourages us with his promises. God encourages us with perspective. Look what he says. My spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. Oftentimes when I get discouraged, it's because I'm seeing the small picture, not the large picture. And I need the Lord to give me a bigger perspective. My spirit remaineth with you. Listen, here's what he says. My spirit remaineth with you. I'm present. I have a purpose. I have a plan. I know who you are. I know the work I've given you to do. Do not get discouraged. I can see what you cannot see. That's what he's, that's what he's reminding the children of Israel. I have a perspective that you do not have. So be encouraged, not discouraged. Fear ye not. How do you respond when you face heartbreak hill? Discouragement in this life is inevitable. So how should we respond to it? Three ways. Three ways. God's presence, God's promises, and God's perspective. God's presence, God's promises, and God's perspective. When you get discouraged, do not give up. 